Great news, my cruciferous cousins. Plant Strong Foods is hosting a March Madness Meals and Minutes sale. Visit plantstrong.com and save up to 30% on every one of our ready-to-eat chilies and stews. It is the perfect time to stock up on these heat-and-eat tasty meal solutions. Having a stash in your pantry means you're never more than 90 seconds away from a satisfying meal. The sale runs through March 17th while supplies last. Visit plantstrong.com today. I went into it thinking, okay, I'm going to show that you can, you can persevere through an, an effort like this and be plant-based. <clears throat> but through the experience that I learned is like, it was probably my superpower. Like that was the thing that actually got me through it. You know, like I'm consuming all this clean food that's building me up instead of breaking me down. Um, when you're pounding on your legs for that many hours every day, inflammation is something you got to worry about. Well, if you're not putting inflammatory foods in your body, then you don't have to worry about that inflammation. Uh, consuming 8,000 calories a day, that can be a little, really laborious on your system if you're eating a lot of animal products. Not eating those animal products made that digestive process that much easier and therefore gave my legs that much more energy to keep going. Season three of the Plant Strong Podcast explores those Galileo moments where you seek to understand the real truth around your health and dare to see the world through a different lens. This season, we honor those courageous seekers who are paving the way for you and me. So grab your telescope, point it towards your future, and let's get Plant Strong together. Hi, I'm Rip Esselstyn. I want to welcome you to the Plant Strong Podcast. And you know from listening that we are all about arming you with the education, the science, and the research on all the benefits of a plant-based lifestyle. Just last week, we talked brain health with Team Shurzai, Drs. Dean and Aisha. And the week before, cardiologist Brian Aspill discussed sweet potatoes over stents. Well, today we're switching gears and digging into inspiration and exploring your personal limits with a major dose of True Grit. In 2019, Robbie Ballinger set sail with just his sneakers from Huntington Beach, California to run across America. That's right, from California to New York by foot. And he was relatively new to running as well as to a plant-strong lifestyle. So you might be asking, why on earth would he do something like this? Well, as it turns out, the earth had everything to do with it. Environmental issues, fitness, and plant-based nutrition had become so important to Robbie that he wanted to spark more conversation and spread his message across the country. And what better way to do that than by setting the physical example for what can be done. And a little spoiler alert here, he did it. Today, we look back on this incredible feat and dig into his value-driven life, which has only grown stronger since his successful trip across the country just two years ago. On the episode, he mentioned that he has a couple things that he's thinking about doing, but he didn't mention this, which is, this past weekend, 
he did it again. He broke the record for the most number of consecutive loops run in Central Park during open hours, opens at 6.05 a.m. and closes at 12.55 a.m. with 16 loops and over 100 miles. Now that is Plant Strong, my friend. Welcome, Robbie Ballinger. Season three of the Plant Strong podcast, we're really focusing in on people that are trailblazers, that are very courageous, that have had a Galileo moment where they saw what they felt was the truth really around all things plant-based and had to basically change the trajectory of their of their life. And so what I'd first like to talk about with you is you're, you love running. You adore running. How long have you been running and why do you, when did you knew that you were in love with running? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So running, I think we're at about eight years now that I've been a runner. That's uh, it. Ru- That's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. When I started running, when I, when I did my big feet, uh, I was, uh, I had been running just over six years. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, I, I played team sports growing up. Obviously running was involved, but running as the sport itself only came to me uh, in my late 20s. I was running some restaurants in Austin, Texas, and also kind of live in that restaurant life where it was work hard, party just a little bit harder. <laughs> and uh, my uh, fiance now, who was my girlfriend at the time, she, she saw that I was, you know, I really wanted to do well at this job and I wanted to be a good leader and take care of, of, of the work that needed to be done. And so she invited me out on a run kind of as an alternative to staying at the bar too late. And it took two miles and I was hooked. It changed my life and uh, never really looked back, just kept running. And that was, what year was that? Do you know? That would have probably been around 2013. So you went on a two-mile run or whatever, and at two miles, you're like, I'm into this. Um, so you haven't run, and two miles in, you like there was no pain. There were no blisters. There was just bliss. Oh, no, it's still, you know, it, 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 I, you, I still had all the feelings for sure. That's why we only went two miles. I'm sure my <laughs> girlfriend uh, would, have, would have preferred to go further, but it's all I had in me. We were in Austin. We stopped at the uh, Juice Land oh, yeah. uh, downtown and grabbed the juice, and I grabbed a cab home. That was it for me, but, I, but it stuck. I really did enjoy it. That's phenomenal to me that you haven't been running that long, and that's what it took, and that was like the hook. That's crazy. That's wild. Well, thank goodness, right? I mean, it's brought you a lot of a lot of joy and um, and accomplishments. So, when did you decide that plant based nutrition was important to you, and what was the the moment that that happened, if there was a moment? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so these restaurants I was running that was a big part of my life. Uh, there became a time. Uh, there was a moment where it was just it was time for me to walk away. Uh, just a lot of responsibility and just wore me down. I just needed a change. So I left the restaurants and about that time I read Scott Durek's book uh, and that really being a runner that really sat with me. You know, this guy, high performer, the high, the high performer in ultra running uh, had made been making plant based choices for since, you know, I think it was even, in, you know, late teens, early, early 20s. And that really stuck with me. But it, it really didn't happen at that moment. Um, from there, after leaving the restaurants, I decided to go spend some time down in the Virgin Islands where I lived in my early 20s and help in the recovery after Hurricane Irma and Maria. Um, That experience was kind of a big moment for me. Um, At that moment, did I have to have 
like some real sobering looks at kind of where we were as a planet, uh, where global warming was taking us. These storms were very big and very scary and just it didn't add up for me. I, I knew I wanted to do something to to better the planet and coming home as I was sifting through what that might be. Um, I was refining my food choices. And as I was refining my food choices, going towards closer to plant-based, did I start looking to realize that it had massive impacts on, on, on the environment, that it's one of the most powerful choices we can make as individuals is to take on a plant-based diet if we're concerned about the environment. And so here I am, I'm like, okay, my running's getting better because of this. And it's going to be the best thing. I can't afford a Tesla right now. So it's about the best thing I can do for the planet. And so that's where the choice really came to full fruition. And that's where I chose that this was the way for me. Hmm. And so when did you start doing ultra racing, ultra running? So ultra started while I was running the restaurants. It was a great, it was a great way to keep myself accountable to the things I needed to do and throw in some, some adventure and something that was just purely for me hmm. and wasn't for the restaurants for which I was giving most of myself to. Um, so yeah, I signed up for what I thought was just a normal, normal 50 mile uh, ultra uh, back in my home state of Georgia in the Appalachians to find out when I got there, it was actually one of the harder ones in the country <laughs> Had over 17,000 feet of gain uh, over 56 miles. And it just it, it ate my lunch, but it, it stuck. I was really into it at that point. Um, and yeah, so my first I think that was about 2015. And when was uh, what was your longest run before that run? Before that ultra, I actually had done one uh, shorter ultra, 50K, so 32 miles in, uh, in Austin or around Austin in Smithville. It's called Hell's Hills. Uh-huh. Uh, so I, it was a gradual build up to that 50, but um, that was a big, a pinnacle, a big moment for me. Wow. And I, um, you've also done some racing in Big Bend. I have. I absolutely love it down there. It's probably my favorite place on earth to run, to be. Uh, it's just a place I feel super grounded, and there's a small race down there every January that I just adore. Well, I need to let you know that Big Bend has a place that's very near and dear to my heart as well. I've probably been there, no exaggeration. I first went there in 1991, and right. I've probably been 100 times. Uh, probably Amazing. 30 of the times that I've gone, I go down to Rio Grande Village, cross the Rio Grande River on a rowboat, and then either hiking or with mountain bikes, go up into the Sierra del Carmen's that, that are there. I've been to the oh, top yeah. of El Pico. Amazing. Which not many Incredible. people have, have done. I actually, uh, there's a rock that's up on the top where you can pull out a little tube that has all the signatures of people that have made it to the top. And there were like six. <laughs> that is amazing. Uh, and it, anyway, it, it is the wild, wild west. It, it truly it, you is. Feel, you feel as though you are on the edge of civilization down there. I think that's one of the things I appreciate about, appreciate about it most. Yeah, I absolutely. Yeah, totally. I want to talk about the feat that you did in 2019 that I think is pretty darn remarkable, and that is you ran across the United States of America, right? <laughs> I sure did, yeah. I went left from Huntington Beach, so just south of Los Angeles, and 75 days later ran into Central Park. So... It was a 3,175-mile journey, uh, again, in 75 days. So that averaged out to 43 miles a day. And how did this concept enter your brain? Like, is it something you came up with? Did somebody challenge you? Was, was there something that you were doing it for, awareness of? 
Yeah, I mean, what the reason for the run was to create conversations about better food choices and promote a plant-based diet. That was that was why I was out there to do it. Uh, how the the idea came about was go a little bit further down from Big Ben, down into Mexico, uh, the Copper Canyon. Oh, yeah. I was down there. I was down there for the uh, the the fifty-mile race they do down there every year, uh, made famous by the book Born to Run. Uh, took a trip down there um, to run the race and. Just in a short conversation, met a guy named Patrick Sweeney, and he very casually told me that in 2015, he ran across the United States. And, you know, it had that wow factor. It stopped me in my tracks. And that really, that, that in itself meant something to me. One, I didn't even know that was truly possible. I had never contemplated it. Um, but then seeing him and knowing how much it like viscerally affected me to hear that someone had done that it showed to me the power that could come from doing it. And then if I was going to do something like that, like I was at this moment where I wanted to help out with this, this like idea that we need to better ourselves to better the planet. And so that was where the genesis of all this came together. Well, I'm going to run across the country to create conversations about better food choices, promote a plant-based diet. That simple. That's what I thought. Um, <laughs> and then the, the process from there was to put everything together for this run, logistically, getting sponsors together, all of those things. Uh, it wasn't quite as easy uh, done as said, but I managed to pull it all together in a year, exactly one year from the day I decided to do it. Um, is when we left on the trip. Wow. I, I mean, I, I want to geek out on, on, this, um, on this run across America. I mean, I want to know, know everything, right? <laughs> I mean, I want to know, like, let's just start out with, so you said it took you 75 days. Is that right? That's correct. 75 yeah. days. You averaged 43 miles a day. Mm-hmm. So did somebody help you as far as preparing for this? Like, how do you prepare to run across America, right? Absolutely. Um, I try to keep things simple. I'm really into that acronym, uh, keep it simple, stupid, kiss. <laughs> yeah. um, so for me, like, I, I, I broke down the training into essentially three parts. The first part being I wanted to assure myself that I could consistently run every day. So I set out to run 10 miles every single day for 14 days, and then I'd take the 15th day off. And I did that for about three and a half, four months. Um, Second phase was to continue that consistency, but throw more miles in there and get up to about 100 and 110 miles a week. Wow. Um, And then the third part was I really felt as though it would be important to normalize that distance, that kind of 50 mile range. So what I did was I signed up for a bunch of races and essentially I was running a 50 mile race every two weeks back to back. And then I'd take a week or two off in between, do another back to back. So the idea was if I could maintain doing these things every other week at race pace, I hoped that I could kind of bring all these kind of three parts together. I could keep consistency. I could slow down a little bit, not be at race pace and therefore just be able to sustain for two and a half months, essentially. So you said you had to get a crew together. You had to get sponsors. Who were some of your sponsors that that uh, embraced what you were doing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my main sponsor was Nautamu, an Austin-based uh, you know, dairy-free ice cream company. Uh, Daniel Nicholson, the founder of the company, and I had been friends, acquaintances for many years, uh, reached out to him, um, and we had this amazing conversation, and he wanted to jump on board. And that was just yeah. such a big breakthrough moment for me. It wasn't the first place I had asked. Um, but it was it was where it took hold, and it meant it made a lot of sense to me. It was a good partner. That it's it's fun, it's playful, it's ice cream. I thought it would be a good thing to bring along on the trip. Like <laughs> it's a great uh, 
you know, like it's a great icebreaker to talk to someone is like, hey, I'm running across the country and this ice cream company is supporting me here. Why don't you have some? And let's talk about how it's plant-based. Uh, so that was my, my predominant sponsor. And then also uh, Switch for Good. Uh, it's uh, Dossi Bosch, uh, yeah. silver medal Olympian. Uh, they, I believe you're both in Game Changers. Um, she came on kind of late in the game. She found out about what I was doing in the la- about a month before I started. And she came on as kind of an auxiliary sponsor with Switch for Good. And that was a really pride. That brought a lot of pride for me was to kind of carry her flag across the country and promote her organization. And she has stayed a dear friend and kind of a mentor to me. So those were really my two main sponsors. That was really who helped to foot the bill and make it happen. Uh, that along with some friends and family that helped me through a GoFundMe. Yeah, yeah. So crew, like how many people were part of the crew? And do you think that this, this effort was as hard on the crew as it was you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely think that. I think it's a... It's a as I talk about my run across the U.S., I often refer to it as we did this. We, at this time, we made this decision. And that's the, that's the truth of it. I didn't run across the country. Uh, it was a collective of people that got me across. Uh, my crew was always a fluctuating number between three and six people, depending mm. on who could be out there at the time. Um, my crew chief was my soon-to-be sister-in-law, my uh, fiance's sister. She, she came on to be crew chief and nutritionist. She has some plant-based certification. She's been vegan for many, many years. And she's an athlete as well. She put together my meal plan. She helped plan everything to a T. Uh, could never have done it without her. She's, a, she's an amazing being. Uh, and then also uh, my in-laws-to-be. They actually ended up coming out for about 55 days uh, cumulative of the 75. Wow. They were there in the beginning and they were there at the end. Uh, <clears throat> they were a core part of my crew as well. And then I had one consistent crew member who was with me all 75 days. Um, uh, a, a now like dear friend and brother, his name is Elliot. And I actually met Elliot two weeks before starting the run um, on my second trip down to the Copper Canyon. We went down one last time to race that run, that, to run that race again and to kind of get some last minute inspiration before I took off. And we met this jolly British guy, tall, lanky dude. He was just hanging out and found out that we were all plant-based and he was like, I am too. And then the next part of the conversation well, was, he, well, he's about to run across the United States to you know, create conversations about better food choices, promote a plant-based diet. And this guy just says, well, can I go with you? And he essentially was traveling at that time with a backpack. And he showed up in LA two weeks later. We had known each other for two hours. And he <laughs> stayed with me all 75 days and was my rock the whole time. He wow. was really, yeah, he was amazing. Isn't that funny how that, how that happens, right? Two weeks yeah. before and yeah. And then you have your rock that wasn't even there two weeks beforehand. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. And that was something I think, you know, when you put your heart into something and you, and you follow what, what, where you're supposed to be going, where your heart takes you, the world often will come together to make sure that that happens. And that was one of those moments. Elliot was one of those things that was just like, yeah, you know, the universe coming together to help me. So you, you said that your, um, I think you said your, your sister-in-law, mm-hmm. um, who was a nutritionist, um, really helped you with your plant-based meal planning. I'd love to know so what fueled you, uh, you know, getting across the United States? What did a typical day of nutrition look like? Breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacking, hydration, yeah. 
all that Absolutely. stuff. Absolutely. It was uh it was a lot of eating. So I needed to consume what we got to is about 8,000 calories a day. That's what I was eating in order to maintain weight and strength and make it across. Um, so the way the day broke down um, was in the mornings, I would wake up. Elliot would wake me up every morning with a cup of coffee and a bowl of porridge. I've always <laughs> called it oatmeal, but he's British. We'll call it porridge. Uh, and that porridge was made up of, again, like oats, um, some maple syrup and some, some nuts, stuff like that. I'd start off with that, and then I ran across the United States in five-mile increments. So every five miles, I would my, my crew would meet me with a little bit of food and some more hydration. So at each stop, I would have something. Um, we had concocted a smoothie that had about right at 1,000 calories per smoothie. I'd have four of those a day, and those were made up of uh, coconut milk, uh, nut butter, water, obviously, um, veggies. And then we would put some Soylent in there to round out the calories. Soylent's kind of a meal replacer. Yep. Um, and so that was, yeah, they, they would make four of those for me a day. I would have those about every other stop. And in between, I would have either a bowl of fruit or something more carby, starchy, like some cold pasta, some potatoes, things of that nature. And then we would just continue that every five miles throughout the day. And then when I finished at the end of the day, we would have, uh, there's this great camping mill company called outdoor herbivore and they make like freeze-dried camping mills mm. they sent me out a bunch of those we would cook those down with coconut milk so that was a day of the eating it would be like again i'd eat i think what we figured out i ate 11 times a day uh in order to continue to continue did you um so did you end up losing weight at all over the 75 days or were you able to keep it on I did. I, I kind of put some weight on going into it. I wasn't at what I would call like my race weight. I was what I would consider a little chubby for me. Um, and we burned through that. And then it kind of, it, everything kind of equalized. And there was about, I'd say about 20, 30 days in that I quit losing weight. And I just was kind of, I was pretty lean, obviously, <clears throat> but uh, never felt like in a deficit by no means. Um, and one thing I would say too is I went into it thinking, okay, I'm going to show that you can, you can, persevere through an, an effort like this and be plant-based <clears throat> but through the experience that i learned is like it was probably my superpower right. like that was the thing that actually got me through it you know like i'm consuming all this clean food that's building me up instead of breaking me down um when you're pounding on your legs for that many hours every day inflammation is something you got to worry about well if you're not putting inflammatory foods in your body then you don't have to worry about that inflammation uh consuming eight thousand calories a day that can be a little really laborious on your system if you're eating a lot of animal products. Not eating those animal products made that digestive process that much easier and therefore gave my legs that much more energy to keep going. And so that was I, I rec I, I now mentor a lot of people doing big efforts. And the first thing I tell them is like, you know, I'm not here to push anything on you, but what you do outside of this effort is what you're gonna do. That's your choices. But if there's one piece of advice I can give you is while you're trying to execute this massive effort, you better be plant-based. It's going to be the best thing for you. Yeah. Did you, I mean, I, I, I have done a couple 24-hour races before, but not running, but this is more like mountain biking and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I know that at some point, it's like the thought of consuming food is just, it's, it's just disgusting. It's like, oh my God, I don't have an appetite for that. I don't have an appetite for that. I don't have an appetite for that. So I'm just amazed that you were able to do this, you know, these four smoothies for whatever it was, 75 days and then everything else. Did you, I mean, did you ever like have a difficult time slugging it down? 
<laughs> it was at times as challenging as as the running itself, but it was a part of it, right? Like to, to I, I, I kind of put my head around it before I started, and I had to. Under, I love food. You know, I've been in the restaurant industry for years. Food is what I know. It's what I understand. It's what I appreciate more than maybe anything. Um, but I had changed that in my mind. I had to go into a place where food was fuel, and that's all it was there for. It was yeah. to get me through. Um, but yeah, there were days where it took everything I could to put that food in. And I had people that would come out and run with me at different places, just people yeah. that had been following my journey. They'd come run with me. And I remember one day someone asked, they're like, Oh, what are you so excited to eat when you're done with this? And I was like, I'm excited not to have to eat. Like, just, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how about three meals a day instead of 11 <laughs> for a while? Uh, and then when I finished in New York, I quickly changed my tune because I was in New York and the food, the plant-based options there are pretty phenomenal. So yeah. I was happy to have tasty foods that were not in my normal everyday repertoire for the last seven five days. We'll get right back to Robbie, but first I want to take a quick moment to say thank you to so many of you who have shared your own personal stories and Galileo moments with me. I want to share a short email from Crystal Lynn. I just left my doctor's office with wonderful news. I've lowered my A1C with a whole food, plant-based way of eating, including Rip's Big Bowl and Engine 2 Pizza Crust, all because I stumbled on your podcast. I've gone from 301 pounds to 285 pounds in just two months, and I feel better than ever. Thank you for spreading awareness, knowledge, and wonderful recipes. I want to congratulate Crystal Lynn. We on the Plant Strong team love hearing success stories like this. If you want to invest some time in yourself and your health, I strongly recommend you join our Spring Rescue 10X program that starts March 30th. The Plan Strong team has led hundreds of people through this 10-week mindset mastery program, helping them to develop the daily habits needed to make this, well, mindless. Stop negotiating with yourself. Discover your deepest why set attainable goals with my team and be supported live through 10 weeks of training. Go to the show notes or visit rescue10x.com today to join the next session. So how much did you feel a lot of an outpouring of support and love uh, for the effort that you were undertaking? I mean, I know when you started off, I mean, there were all kinds of people running with you. Rich showed up and ran with you. Did you feel the love? Could you could you sense it? Absolutely. I mean, you know, like we can we can point our fingers at all the negative parts of social media, and they definitely exist. But there is a beautiful layer to it too, and that is that ability to interact with people, uh, such a large network of people. And as I went across, people were finding out about my journey. They were, you know, they were they were tuning in and they were also leaving comments and telling me how good I was doing. And they could sense when I'd have a bad day and people would lift me up. And it was, yeah, it was one of the most beautiful feelings I've ever felt was just to feel backed by so many people. And then also hearing stories of how I was positively affecting people's lives, whether it be that they were contemplating their food choices, which is why I was out there. And there was a lot of that to this day. There's still a lot of that. I I still get the residual gratification of hearing about that. But I, the parts I didn't expect were even people who were gaining other things from my experience, people that were just like looking at their own lives and realizing they could be more resilient and they could yeah. stick to their goals a little bit harder than they were the day before. So, yeah, that part was like, I mean, I, I felt better about humanity than I ever yeah. have in those 75 days. For yeah. Sure. So the course that you took, you're running, 
You're, are you like on back roads most of the time? I mean, that is that is that a tricky thing to do to figure out how to cross the United States without hitting, you know, major thoroughfares? It definitely takes some due diligence. Um, my father-in-law was the one that really took the reins on that. He is a map guy. He's the kind of guy. He's done the whole Appalachian Trail. He's knocked off most of the 14ers here in Colorado. Wow. Like he he loves looking at a map. So he took that that and he what we did was we found there was a race in 2011 where a couple frenchmen tried to run they tried to race each other across the country uh which is in itself kind of phenomenal it's a very small group of people who have done this but um they left a trail of pdfs that kind of showed their route for how they had done it so we took those and then we applied those onto strava maps Hmm. and looked at the heat maps on strava and so from there we were able to identify and make sure all the roads were safe is it illegal to run on interstates in the United States? Yeah. So you, you can't really do that. Um, so you're always looking for roads that are either extremely rural or have a very large shoulder or some combination of the two. And we were able to, he kept me on track on that the whole time. There wasn't really a moment that I felt too, right. you know, in danger by, by <laughs> the route itself. Fantastic. So you got The Rock, and then you got, like, Mr. Maps as well. <laughs> I do, absolutely, yeah, <laughs> for sure. That's, that's good. So you must have run through some pretty, pretty special places that really stick out in your mind. Can you, like, name a couple? For example, I'll just, to help you get the ball rolling, like Navajo Nation, for example. Yeah. I know that was, that like, was... a real special eight days for you. Yeah, that, that was to me the most special part of, of the run itself. Um, it was something I didn't anticipate. Uh, as I had so much faith in my crew, as Chris put together the, uh, the route, my father-in-law, I didn't pay much attention to it. I just know he'd keep me going in the right direction. Um, and when we entered into the Navajo Nation, I assumed I'd be there for an afternoon. And we were there for eight days. And um, it, was, it was a fascinatingly beautiful part of the trip. It also was the place that tested me the most physically, mentally, emotionally. <clears throat> but that was what I was there for. Um, from everything from the topography to the people. The people there are just fascinating. They're beautiful, they're beautiful souls. And mm. they needed my message probably more than anybody. You yeah. know, they're, they're neglected. Uh, our food system neglects them. Um, our government neglects them. And they need a lot of help. And just getting to be there and be a little bit of inspiration and mm-hmm. chat with people along the way was, yeah, it's, it, it, it'll always stay with me. It's just a fascinating, beautiful experience. Right. Any, anything else that uh, sticks out a day or Topogra- a moment? Or, yeah. yeah. Topography-wise, the Mojave Desert coming out of L.A. was fascinating. It was, it was hot, of course, but um, that part was very interesting. And then I grew up in uh, the northeast Georgia mountains, so in the foothills of the Appalachians. I didn't go that south. I was going, obviously, to New York. So we hit the Appalachians in Pennsylvania. Uh, they tested me to my core. Um, the Appalachians are ruthless. They're not as big and grand as, you know, what we think of when we think of the Rockies yeah. or something like that. But they're, they just don't, they're relentless. They don't stop. And so there was a sense of feeling at home there, but also a sense of just like, this is the hardest part of the trip. <laughs> and uh, that those, those areas really stick out to me. And then just like tons of road stories just about, you know, the ways I interact with people and the crew and us interacting with each other. Um, just that sense of belonging. And like I was on my path, like literally, you know, like I was doing exactly what I was supposed to be doing in that moment. And that's something that will always stay with me, something I will always yeah. remember yet yearn for again. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's a yeah. motivating factor to continue to push the envelope. You, you mentioned that, you know, going through Navajo Nation was the one that kind of 
At the same time, it tests you the most uh, emotionally, physically. What can you can you remember? Was there one moment on that during those seventy five days where that was just the absolute hardest? Where you're like, oh my gosh, I got to throw in the towel. I just I don't I don't think I can do this. Yeah, it the 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 day that was the most prominent, like within the that kind of thought is within the Navajo Nation. Um, early on, day six, seven, I developed shin splints. I uh, was able to just, with making some adjustments, run through them, essentially, um, and overcame that. Got into the Navajo Nation, and the other leg, I, I developed tendonitis really, really bad. To the point, I became immobile. I was dragging my leg. My crew was just like, you can't do this. This is just too much. Uh, I was also at a time where I was just so physically exhausted. Um, I think it was day 19 or 20. And my crew essentially, they were like, look, you got, I'd made it 13 miles that day. And they're like, we have to take the rest of the day off. You can't even, you can't even walk much less run. So they talked me into taking the day off. And then actually the following day, I ended up taking the whole day off. It was the one day out of 75 that I didn't do an ultra. Um, and that day, was a lot. It was very heavy. I, there was the fear that I would never get back up and get going again. There was um, just like physically slowing your body down after giving, 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 and like making it stop for that day. Um, it was it was profound. It was the day that I gave up trying to force the endeavor and realized that I had to like succumb to it and just be become a part of the energy that was going to propel me across the country. There were too many days. There were too many variables for me to think I could control it. Mm. And, uh, that, that release, that letting go was, was something that, yeah, that was a big moment for me interpersonally. And I'll, I'll, yeah, I bet. And I, you know, it seems like a lesson that all of us need to go through at some point in our lives instead of, as you said, instead of forcing it, mm-hmm. we kind of relax, we succumb to it and we let what happens happens a little bit. Yeah. So congrats on getting through that. I mean, yeah. you know, you made it. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And you know, that was, I was told prior to leaving for it, I had talked to a couple of people who'd done big efforts, whether it had been a transcon or other things. And essentially they said that there's two key moments, key kind of dates you got to look at. And that's about two weeks in, if you can make it through two weeks without a show stopping injury, yeah. you're probably, your body's going to hold up. And then after a month <clears throat> is when it starts to normalize and get a little bit easier. Um, and both of those days like really stood, they, they, they held the test. That is exactly how it worked for me. Um, to say it got easy by no means, but after that month, it was more of a situation of, okay, this is what I do. Yeah. This is now my body and my mind is aligned to the task at hand. And we're just going to get up every day and we're going to do it. Well, what's interesting to me is, so, I mean, you've been training for this thing regularly and why do you think, that you developed the shin splints? Was it because you weren't running on pavement? Were you not simulating that enough? Did you do different shoes? Um, it was, well, it, I think what it really came down to was the, uh, the load, the amount we're talking, right? Like even when I was at my peak of training, we're talking 100 to 115 a miles a week. Yeah. Now we're going 315 a week. <laughs> yeah, it's 3x. Yeah. yeah. And you, you can't train for that because if you do, no, yeah. you're, you're, ex, you're exerting that energy that you need to hold on to for the, for the actual event. Um, where it will lend itself as like beneficial in the future is now as I think about future efforts, I can look back at that 75 days as actually a huge training block. And now I'm stronger 
than I ever was prior to starting. So, but yeah, that was, that was why I think I, those injuries happen is you just, you can't truly prepare yourself. For yeah. This. Well, it's interesting. You know, I interviewed Scott Jurek after he did the Appalachian trail and similar thing, right? He got injured a couple of days in, he pulled a quadricep and had to deal with that. And, you know, he's, he's fighting through all that stuff as well. Um, just, it's just nutty to me how, you know, physically, mentally, spiritually, you just, you just put it all on the line and you're trying to make it happen. And, you know, and, and you did that. Speaking of spiritually, are you a spiritual guy? I mean, um, very undefined, but yes, yeah. you know, yeah. like I, I wouldn't put it, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hang, uh, my hat on any specific right. yeah. doctrine, but, um, over the years, I, I think my life and the experiences I've went through, like spirituality is definitely there. Yeah. And, and the reason I ask is because I know, you know, when you were young, your father, your father died. Yeah. And, um, I think it might've been on one of the hardest days you snapped that photo or somebody did. I think it was of your father-in-law. Is that Chris? This is correct. Of, of yeah. Chris with a horse. Yeah. Right. And, and you some you identified that horse kind of as your father, right? Yeah, I was I was that was the day. That was the day yeah. that I had to take off and I was really struggling with that with, you know, the fears, the fears of not getting back on the road, the exhaustion, um, all these things. And right as I woke up and I opened the door to the van that I was sleeping in and I looked across and there was this paint horse, uh, you know, beautiful kind of speckled horse. Um, my father did pass away when I was two and a half. Um, he had horses all of his life oh. there. And, um, yeah, it was right away. There was this immediate understanding that that was somehow associated with my father. What I, what I kind of have, you know, come to the conclusion is it was his spirit and he was there to kind of <clears throat> check in that day. And, um, at some point I did see Chris, my father-in-law over there kind of interacting with the horse, but then it was only, I mean, only a couple months ago that I was looking back through our shared photo albums of everyone's experience and everyone's photos from the trip. Did I find this picture where Chris had taken a selfie of himself with this mm -hmm. horse mm -hmm. and it stopped me in my tracks when I saw it and it, it memorialized something that I didn't know had been yeah, had been memorialized to that degree. And um, it brought back those emotions and those feelings. And yeah, that was, again, that was one of those places where profound things happen to me spir like spiritually. Like maybe prior to this trip, had you asked me that question about my spirituality, it would have been a much vaguer answer. Yeah. But um, yeah, that was a, a, a defining moment. Well, in looking through some of your Instagram posts, it was very telling to me how even though your father left you at the, when you were two and a half, in many ways, he's been with you the whole time. And, yeah. And, and, it's, and it's, it's a very special relationship that you carry with your father. Yeah, for sure. It, um, you know, his, from what I understand, he had a very big presence. He was, he was someone, he was a force. And um, it, it, I've always, I think, like, been on this journey to define myself as a man and what did that mean and what does it mean in contrast to the story of who he was and who do I want to be independent of that but holding on to that at the same time and that's been a lot of my journey mm -hmm. um, I surpassed him in age when I was 27 he died again when I was very young and he was very young and that was a big moment for me where I let go of a lot of the things that I thought I was doing to mimic him he was 
a strong man, but he also like, you know, his lore was a lot about, he was a, he was a guy of the seventies that partied really hard. And that was a big part of my life in my early twenties and surpassing him in age allowed me to start the process of letting go of that Mm. and becoming my own version of what it was going to be to be a man. And a lot of that got wrapped up in grit and, and persevering through physical efforts of being an ultra runner. That that's how I wanted to find myself in kind of that more masculine kind of side of, of my being. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So I got a, I got a crazy question for you. And that is, you know, I'm in Austin, Texas. You've, you lived here for, was it 12 years? You said, yeah, t- about 10. 10, I think about 10. Yeah. So I, you know, I'm outdoors a lot. And when I was a professional triathlete, I was out in the sun four to eight hours a day. What in the world do you do to keep from getting sunburned when you're running across the United States? I mean, is there a a sunblock that you recommend? Are you just wearing clothing or? Uh, People were concerned. I, um, I have olive skin to begin with, and then you put some sun to it and I get real dark real fast. And, um, I'm not a fan of sunblock. It was a, this was the, this was a very inside joke with our crew is my uh, mother-in-law is a, a sunblock fanatic. And that was her task and role every day was to make sure I put the sunblock on. Nice. And we actually found probably not the best version of it, but it was what I would use easily was just the spray on stuff yeah. just because it was easy to apply. And so every time I would come in on these five mile breaks, she would make sure I put more and more on. Um, but I mean, we got messages of people concerned about how dark I got. Yeah, no, I bet. And are you wearing, are you wearing a certain hat or do the hats not allow your head to breathe? And I wore, like, I was kitted up. Like I had like a, a not a moo like Jersey that we had, we had designed as well as a hat, like a running hat. So I never really wore like a big hat to block the sun. Um, being all those, all those years in Austin, you know, running and even prior to running, just being outside and active, I think I'm just a, yeah. I, 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 I'm a sun baby. Like I enjoy it. So I, I didn't, I didn't cower from it. Too ooh, ooh, and you're nice. What about to keep yourself sane, you know, running that many miles, that many days in a row, are you listening to music? Uh, is your, is your, is your crew, you know, vehicle near, near close enough to you where they can like blast, blast out music. something or, or what, what was your, what'd you do with that? So, so not, I wouldn't say the majority of the time, but some of the time I had people running with me, whether it be crew members that would be out there to pace me just mm-hmm. to, to, you know, just be there to, uh, entertain me, uh, or whether that be people that were coming out to just join for the day. So that part was really nice, but I still did have a lot of time in solitude in those times. Um, I had this, this notion prior to starting that I would listen to books on tape and become <laughs> the most well-read runner of all time. Uh, in reality, it just didn't work. That didn't work for me too well. So a couple of podcasts here and there. And then music wise, I got fixated on a couple of things. I got really into the Grateful Dead, yeah. which had not had not really been in my repertoire in many years, but it was at that point. And then also Jimmy Buffett. Mm. I think that one went back to my, my time in the Caribbean. Um, there was something about... You know, in this effort, it was something that I was there to do. I was happy to do. I enjoyed it. But I also, at times, it felt really monotonous. And I wanted to be anywhere but Mm. on the shoulder of the road running in a northeasterly direction. And Jimmy Buffett 
just took me somewhere else. He took me back to the Caribbean. Uh-huh. So those two things I just fixated on. And I listened to them sometimes on repeat uh, for hours on end. You, you know, you mentioned earlier on in the podcast that you went to St. John's. Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever been to right nearby the island of St. Croix? I have very, of the three U.S. Virgin Islands, St. Croix the least. I've spent most of my time on St. John and then on St. Thomas, but I know St. Croix a little bit. The reason I say that is when I was doing triathlons, they had a, a triathlon there called the Beauty and the Beast. And ah. they, were, they had this crazy hill uh, on the bike. But there was also a, a, a restaurant on the island called Cheeseburgers in Paradise. Oh, yeah. Right? Jimmy, <laughs> yeah. Jimmy Buffett song. So I was just was wondering if you'd ever been there. <laughs> yeah, no, but you know, down there, I lived, I lived down there for a couple of years and a lot of the people that I uh, was around and my friends, they were a good, good bit older than me. And they were down there post kind of hate Ashbury, like after summer of love, they, uh, this big hip, group of hippies all moved down to St. John and you would hear stories about when Jimmy Buffett was down there. Yeah. yeah and yeah. like, you know, he, he's definitely a part of the culture for sure. Yeah. Yeah. What about, I want to hear about sleep. So, like, did you sleep well? Was your sleep at all tormented? Did you nap at all during the day? Yeah. Recovery um, recovery was a hard lesson learned during the transcon. Uh, it's something now that I'm focusing on much more. It's actually as I create a narrative for my next, you know, big efforts, recovery is going to be a part of it. It's all about nutrition and recovery. I did not give that the the attention it deserved prior to leaving. I had this assumption that if I ran for 11 to 15 hours a day, I would just pass out. I'd be so tired, I'd just crash. And the reality was is it didn't really work that way. Um, Whether it be, or it was a combination of just slowing your body down, slowing your mind down to be able to go to sleep, but then also immense pains in my legs, aching, just aching, aching, aching. Mm. So for the first 10 days or week, I slept about cumulative about 10 hours is what we kind of have approximated. Um, and then after that, were we able to realize that the crew needed throughout the day to like insist that I elevate my legs, um, trying to get the blood to pull down yeah. from my, cause it was all just like, it's all just pulling up in my feet and it was just causing immense pain and injury. So if we could pull that blood back out to where it should be massage, um, trying to get some rest in the middle of the day, especially early on when it was really hot going through Mojave desert as my body and mind were kind of adapting to this challenge at hand. Um, so yeah, there, that we got better at it over time. And, um, it's something now that I'm, again, I'm focusing on a lot, a lot more. Do you, uh, you got a nickname for yourself or has anybody given you a nickname? I don't think so. Not really. I mean, I, I obviously during the run, I got Forrest Gump a lot, or like plant-based <laughs> yeah. Forrest Gump. But um, outside of that, you know, I've always been a Rob, Robbie kind of guy. Right. I, All yeah. right. Not like, not a moo. <laughs> <laughs> Heard that one a lot. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So you spent a year focusing in on the effort. Mm-hmm. You did it. it. Took you 75 days. What an insane accomplishment. What's it like coming back to reality after achieving a dream like that? Uh, are you, do you fall into a pit of depression uh, or do you just able, are you able to like, you know, kind of go back into existence? I would imagine that would be really hard. Yeah, there was a reckoning for sure. It was really, really hard. Um, 
again, like we, what you just said, I spent a year planning. Yeah. I spent two and a half months executing. So 14 and a half months of my life had one goal, one goal in hand, and that was to get to Central Park. And then you get to Central Park <laughs> and you just stop and you're like, <laughs> yeah. what, what's next? Like, what, what is this? And yeah, that took a lot. It was even harder than, you know, it's like when I went into the run, it was like this thing. When you, when you start something like that, you're like, I know I'm going to be tired. I know it's going to be painful. It's going to be all these things. But until you're in the moment, can you really understand the gravity of that? Mm-hmm. Well, the same was true when I finished. You know, it was like, well, I know I'll probably go through some sadness, some depression, some feelings of not having direction. It was so much worse. It was such a bigger part of me than I ever had anticipated. And it took a long time to come out of. You know, I think part of this run, as it was for all these altruistic reasons of creating these conversations about food choices, there was also a part of me that wanted to redefine myself as, a, as, as who I was as a man and wanted to be this runner. I wanted to be this person, this new person. And I achieved those things, but you're still left without a lot of direction. You know, like Nautamu was in it for that run. That was, they were my sponsors for that. But then that was over and that chapter was done. And now I have to figure out a way monetarily even just yeah. to make money again. And, I, and so there was a lot of that, trying to figure those things out and that was as challenging, if not more than the run itself. You know, it really did take a long time to come through. And then as soon as I started to fill up and over it, we had COVID hit. And so then there's been the year of that. And I'd say only recently am I at a place where I feel really confident and healthy about where I want to take things in the future and, mm-hmm. and feel feel good. You know, it was it was a long path. Can you So what are you doing right now, like for, for work or anything like that? And is there anything that excites you like on the horizon that you're kind of getting ready for? I'd love to hear about it if you want to share. Yeah, absolutely. For, as far as work right now, um, I'm, I, I'm happy to say that the things I'm doing right now still fill, fill my cup, the passion's there. Um, it's not about running, but um, as I was understanding my new food choices and, and thinking about like uh, more progressive food thought, a friend of mine was also at the same time developing a company called Let Us Grow. And it's um, it's a really cool company. It's based around this hydroponic farm stand that allows everybody to have fresh produce at your house. You don't have to be a gardener to have fresh produce. That's kind of what we're trying to develop. And um, it's been an exciting year for the company. It's something that I'm real passionate about helping to grow. Um, I think there's a whole conversation that could be had about that company. And um, it's it delivers nutrient as nutrient dense produce as possible with the smallest carbon footprint possible and essentially anyone can do it whether you live in, you have an outdoor space or you have to do it indoors wow. it's very accessible so that's what i'm up to right now and i and i really do love it it's a great company uh, as far as future efforts there are some things that are on the horizon i'd say right now they're still kind of intellectual property just because until i get the sponsorships together yeah you know these type of challenges when you're not just going out to run a race like they take some level of creativity to come up with and when you say them out loud, other people can kind of gravitate towards them. So yeah. I'm going to keep them for myself right now. But I do say I have two that I'd like to execute in the next 18 months that I think would really turn heads and continue this conversation about how important these these food choices are for us as individuals, whether it be for performance or just health and for what it can do for the planet. Like we got to we got to wake up and we got to get some of this stuff in line. And, you know, for me, plant based choices like they're important for our health, but they also increase our frequency. They made me more vibrant. They made mm. me have more vitality mm. and, and more compassion. And I think we have a 
we're in a place where the planet needs all that it can get. And so I'm, I'm reinvigorated to spread that message again. Nice. Well, Robbie, this has been a pleasure, really has. And I, I, I can't believe that, you know, when you were in Austin, our paths somehow didn't cross. And I hope that in the future we get to get to hang out. I uh, hope so as well. Whether this it's in Denver or whether it's in Austin. But huge congrats on, on doing that transcon and everything that you discovered about yourself and, really and, and, and for helping to, to further the conversations and the importance around all things plant-based. Yeah, you know, the, the time is running out and we got to get as many people as we can on board for sure. There's a, there's a million reasons to make the decision. That's for sure. <laughs> a million. Exactly. <laughs> all right, my man. Well, with that, will you give me the, uh, say peace? Peace. Turn it around. Engine two. Engine two. Keep it playing strong. All right. There we go. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Robbie would never call himself extraordinary, but I hope that you found something extraordinary about his story. Regular people like you and me can do spectacular things, and don't doubt that for a second. Heck, as a firefighter, I never dreamed of having a platform where I could share valuable information, but here we are, and I am so honored to spread our Plan Strong message week after week. What's one small thing that you can do today? What step can you take to better yourself? If you need some direction, reach out to us at planstrong.com. And as I mentioned earlier, our Spring Rescue 10X Mindset Mastery Program kicks off March 30th. And it will arm you with the daily habits to make Plant Strong Living a breeze. I'll see you next week on the Plant Strong Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Plant Strong Podcast. You can support the show by taking a quick minute to subscribe, rate, and review at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Sharing the show with your network is another great way to help us reach as many people as possible with the great news about plants. Thank you in advance for your support. It means everything to me. Have you had your own Galileo moment that you'd like to share? What happened when you stepped into the arena and shed the beliefs that you thought to be true? I'd love to hear about it. Visit plantstrongpodcast.com to submit your story and to learn more about today's guests and sponsors. The Plant Strong Podcast team includes Carrie Barrett, Lori Kordowich, Amy Mackey, Patrick Gavin, and Wade Clark. This season is dedicated to all of those courageous truth seekers who weren't afraid to look through the lens with clear vision and hold firm to a higher truth. Most notably, my parents, Dr. Caldwell B. Esselstyn, Jr., and Anne Cryle Esselstyn. Thanks for listening.